Welcome to The Travelling Senorita, episode 119. I have had a trip, a fantastic trip down south over onto the island. It felt like I was overseas for one second there uh, in Tasmania and had this wonderful time doing the roads less travelled per se. So landed in Hobart, which is a fabulous um, city as we all know, but then ventured through the guts of Tasmania to Rathmore, to Kempton, over the mountains, the Great Lakes, to Deloraine, and then headed to the northwest in Stanley and down to Corinna. And the whole time I was travelling around, it just struck me that there is a stack of spirits being made in Tasmania. In fact, I found out, and my guests will be able to confirm this, there, there is up to 100 distilleries in Tasmania, and that's not including um, brewers and wineries. That is just spirits. Now, there's a reason for this, and today uh, I'm really happy to have um, what I would call a famed guest. I was, like, aiming pretty high in Tassie, and I was uh, I got where I wanted to go, which was, which is with... The I would call him the grand poobah of uh, whiskey and spirits in Australia. He calls himself the godfather of spirits. Actually, he doesn't call himself anything. He calls himself Mr. Bill Lark. Please welcome Bill. Hey, Bill. G'day, Collie. How are you going? Good, mate. Can I call you the grand poobah of spirits? You can call me whatever you like. <laughs> now, now, for those that don't know you, they've been living under a rock, literally, because Bill Lark, your whiskey, Lark, is very renowned uh, as a, 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 a brand and a spirit. But how did you come to be in Tasmania first and foremost? I want to go back to then get to Lark, the man, the, the spirit that he is. Um, I want to know how you got there, your journey. So where were you born, Bill? I was born actually in Gloucester in New South Wales, but grew up in Sydney. Yeah. Um, what Whereabouts in Sydney were you? Uh, I grew up in Burwood. Went to Asheville Boys High School. <laughs> Were you thinking about whiskey back then? <laughs> uh, not about whiskey, but funny, I was only thinking on it the other day. Um, I, I, I went to judo classes and fell in love with a girl called Lynn Stewart, and we got engaged at 18 and married at 19. But at our engagement party, we thought it would be a fun thing to put down a brew of fruits and ferment them and the idea was to distill them uh, using a little um, pressure cooker <laughs> and wow. copper. Like, like <laughs> but, a mulled wine. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, well, no, we were going to run it through a still, a homemade still. <laughs> but some, somebody's guest's kid reached up onto the shelf and pulled the pot down all over themselves and it was a huge disaster. Oh, no. <laughs> but that was the end of our distilling career at the age of 18. But not, not the end of your <laughs> not the end of your relationship with Lynn. No, we got married, I'm pleased to say, 48 years ago. That's amazing. So was that, isn't that bizarre? There's always, this is why I take people back to the start because there's always a connection and I guess you refer back to that time where you made your own still um, as probably a little spark in you that was ignited uh, even though you may not have known that until later on. What did you do after, um, you know, after your teens? What were you doing? Well, I was a, um, when I finished school, I became a trainee surveyor yep. and my wife, oh, my fiance at the time was a survey draftsman with the lands department and yeah. we got married at 19 and we decided um after our honeymoon that we would 
take off to somewhere for an adventure. It just happened to be Tasmania, and we thought we might go away for a year, maybe. Well, that was 48 years ago, and we're still in Tasmania. <laughs> wow. So where did you land in Tassie when you first got there? Uh, Launceston. So I told my boss we were, we were getting married and, and we'd be leaving after that, um, and we were looking for somewhere like Tasmania or Adelaide, and he said, oh, look, I've got a friend, a surveyor in Launceston. I'll give them a call. And the surveyor eventually called me and said, look, I'm coming through Sydney shortly. Can you meet me at the airport? And I said, yeah, sure. Went to the airport and um, before I knew it, I had a job lined up in Launceston. And so two weeks after we got married, we ended up in Launceston. We arrived with about 26 cents in our pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Not 25, 26. No, I remember it was 26. We had to be very careful with it. (laughs) <laughs> Can I just say, Bill, let's let's uh, let's dance around Launceston for a while because you're you're a Tassie man through and through. Clearly, <laughs> forty eight years later, now oh, absolutely. Now Launceston, having just been down in Tassie, as I said, I went through the guts, ended up on the northwest, Corinna, and then came back to Launceston. Now I hadn't been there. We all, I noticed a lot of people say this: they pass through or they go to the gorge and not much else. So I was one of those people with our young children, probably, I don't know, let's say 15 years ago, probably longer. And I said to my husband, I'm really excited to go back to Launceston because I had been hearing a bit of a buzz about it in the food scene. So when I landed there, we stayed at the silos, the Pepper's Silo Hotel. Yes. Now, first and foremost, I love a, a, a building that's been reimagined, an area, like of a better word, that's been gentrified and hasn't just been tossed away, which it had been for so many years. And then we walked from that silo across the bridge, went to like Mud Bar, which was great food. Then we went down along the river. The whole time I'm just saying, well, this city is so beautiful. And then we got to the, um, the other silo restaurant, Stillwater, which has got huge, huge applaud. And then I kept walking along this rock cliff face, which I didn't realize because I'd driven there 15 years prior and didn't realize how you could just walk so easily from the CBD through these rocks into probably what is one of the most natural wonders in the world. I mean, Launceston is a rocking city. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, I discovered that same walk myself. Um, I came down before our wedding um, to be a groomsman for a mate of mine from King Island that got married in Launceston. And after the wedding, I was on my own. I was looking for a place for Linda and I to stay. And I just did that same walk, walked through town and ended up on that cliff walk and at the gorge. And I just thought, this is paradise on earth. But interestingly, Kylie, you mentioned a couple of uh, places then when you talked about the mud bar and the still. That Talk about connections because the chef that started the still, Don Cameron, now is the owner and chef of mud bar. He wanted to start distilling at exactly the same time that we did. He used to phone me up. He had a restaurant in Olveston. He'd met a crazy bloke that said he could make eight-year-old whiskey in two weeks. And um, we just sort of started talking and formed a a pretty good relationship. And uh, Don Cameron I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, Don's, Don's, like, name was thrown around so much in Launceston. Um, You know, so obviously he's a legend, yeah. Oh, in the food industry, he's an absolute legend. Yeah, sure. Well, he's got another restaurant too now. Black. Oh, well, that's is he still? He went from Stillwater to Mud Bar. The food at Mud Bar is incredible. The other place that were really, um, they just got a hat actually over at uh, Grain of the Silos. Those guys are really mixing it up over there too. The chefs there, like they're doing things like abalone skewers with um, abalone liver and black garlic. Like so, we just had this 
boot journey, literally as we were walking. And you know what, mate? The weather was like sunny. One, it's like I grew up on the Mornington Peninsula, so I'm used to crap weather. But it was sunny <laughs> one minute, windy, whatever. But I loved that it was rugged, windy, rainy, sunny. Like I love that type of weather because it really gets you out and about. And along the way, we just stopped and had a drink and and a tappers at every, <laughs> at every place. And by the time you walk up to the gorge, I don't know, I just was blown away by that. Even that gorge restaurant, which I have heard here, hot off the press, you probably know this, um, has sold for the first time in 30 years. They've sold the rights to the gorge restaurant. There you go. (laughs) A Melbourne um, hospitality crew are coming in and they want to keep the organic nature of that place, which you, I mean, if you came in there and did something tossery in a natural environment, then you're just a tosser, right? So basically they want to come in and, I mean, I, I don't know, that that won't happen, but I heard from the staff that they want to come in and do something really cool in there, keep it organic, just give it a bit of a polish. But what an incredible um, space that oh, yeah. Gorge restaurant is with Cafe. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. Just a, a short walk from the centre of up to Launceston. Unbelievable. And the other one I will say while we're still in Launceston is um, Black Cow, which is an old butcher, which yes. is the Stillwater crew. And that, like, there's a, like, what is a steakhouse in a butcher? I mean, I know it sounds super simple, but how good is that? And then the yeah. other guy, which you will know, and he, he really he really loves what you do. You'll love his vibe. Um, the Barrel Collective. Yes. Yeah, yes. he said, yep. So he had everything on a, uh, hey? Yeah, I, I know the place, yep. So yeah. again, rocking little bar that's only, like, honours Tasmania. So, and, and I mean, yeah. this is the thing about you. Whenever you find these incredible places in Tasmania that are really just loyal to Tasmanian products, which I love because it's super sustainable, your name is at the tip of everyone's tongue. <laughs> now, how did this come to be? How did you go from like the, the architectural drafts world into spirits other than distilling one at 18, 19 and blowing everybody up? <laughs> yeah, look, it's one of those funny little things that happen to you in life. Um, I was just fishing with my father-in-law up in the Highlands. We caught a beautiful brown trout. Um, Max was my father-in-law, the person that introduced me to single malt whiskey. And um, having caught a beautiful fish one day and having a little barbecue in the middle of Boswell, a beautiful old Georgian town up in the Highlands, um, we were barbecuing the trout and and Max uh, poured me a rather healthy glass of Glenfiddich. And we were sitting there talking about Tasmania and how it had good barley and good water and climate and everything else. And I said to Max, well, I wonder why no one's making whiskey in Tasmania. Why why isn't there anybody making whiskey here? We've got all the right ingredients. And that time Lynn turned up and she heard me say that and she said, well, Bill, why don't we give it a go? Let's see if you can make good whiskey in Tasmania. And that just started our journey. I, I just started talking to people who said, Oh, you should go and talk to so-and-so. I believe they worked in the industry in Scotland and I'd go and see Fred and Fred would open a bottle of whiskey and we'd pour a couple of dreams and sit and talk about his time in Scotland and then he'd recommend I go and talk to somebody else that worked for a company that made stills and on and on it went. I just got swept up in a wave of enthusiasm and, um, and, and you know, eventually that led to uh, Lynn's mum reading out an auction notice that, she described a copper pot whiskey still that was coming up for auction and I said well come on Margaret we're going to go to that auction and I ended up buying a still for $65 and um, it just sort of 
just kept growing this and everybody was really keen to help me wherever I went. Um, I'd go to Cascade Brewery and they'd make some wash for me and wort and um, I'd take it home and run it through the little still and um, it was all quite exciting and um, I just thought back then that, oh look, I think my neighbours might be starting to know what's going on underneath the house. <laughs> bit, of, bit of moonshine. What you? Better, ha- go- <laughs> better go give them a taste. Uh, what? How many years ago was that? That was all in the late 80s, early 90s. And um, so I thought, look, I better go and get a licence. And I rocked up to our local office of the Australian Customs Service and walked in and they were all looking rather bored in there. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> fellas, you I was just wanting to know if there's um, what it takes to get a license to start a distillery. Well, they all jumped out of their chairs and made me a cup of tea. And um, we went through the distillation of 1901 and <clears throat> sadly discovered that unless you were prepared to build an in, a small industrial size distillery, you couldn't get a license. I mean, and at that stage, I had a little wee little still and I didn't know how to make whiskey really. I was still playing. And I said, well, you know, is there any opportunity for an experimental license or something? And they were just as disappointed as I was and said, no, I'm sorry, Bill, that's it. So, you know, and then a few days later, a chance meeting with our local federal member of parliament and discovered he loved whiskey. And he got on the phone to Barry Jones in Canberra, who was the Minister for Customs, Science and Small Business. And Barry Jones admitted that he loved whiskey and should do something about it. And he did. He changed the legislation or amended the regulations to the Act to allow small stills. So wow. it just, everything fell into place. And at the end of the day, I, I, I had to get a licence and <laughs> start making whiskey. You know, it, it's interesting because you mentioned <laughs> Lynn and obviously it's a really good team, you guys. Like, you know, and doors open <laughs> when things are meant to, when, the, when it's flowing, the energy flows. So obviously... Lynn was that very first point where she heard you talking to her father and said, let's yep. you know, let's do this. And then obviously, you know, your persistence, I, I, you struck me as a friendly man, so you would have gone up and, you know, into the office and said, hey, dudes, I'm thinking of doing this. And then over to the, you know, obviously you can speak to politicians, blah, blah, blah. But, but doors open when they're meant to. And you quickly realise that if an idea is meant to fall flat, it does fall flat. So obviously you yep. just went on this trajectory and kept going. But was there a point where you were, obviously, were you still working full-time as a draftsman as well? Oh, gosh, yeah, I had my own survey practice, yeah. um, which was busy. And <clears throat> Lynn and myself, together with three other mates and their families, <clears throat> we um, built the pub on the ski field at Ben Lomond and we were <laughs> running that. And um, so that was busy and the survey practice was busy and, yeah, this whiskey thing just came along. So Lynn and I actually did say to ourselves, Let's see if we can make whiskey, but you've got to promise us that we won't start another business. Yeah, wow. <laughs> 30, 30 years later, we sold the survey practice, sold the pub, and <laughs> whiskey's our life. So <laughs> when did whiskey become your life, as in, you know, when you sold the pub and you stopped working full-time as a draftsman? When was that? Yeah, so um, I was still... We got our licence in 1992, mm-hmm. and at that stage... And it was in our house at Kingston and we were still really learning how to make whiskey with the help of people from Scotland and they found out that we had a licence and were helping us. And um, So we were experimenting with yeast types and barrel types and that went on for about eight years. And in, uh, oh, well, really uh, in five years, we ended up uh, 
taking some commercial premises because people started discovering what we were doing and our product. And um, I was surveying right through to the year 2000. And I said to my surveying assistant, would you like to be a partner? And he said, yep. And I said, would you actually like to buy the practice? He said, yep. So uh, eight years after getting our license, um, I was uh, away from surveying. And um, five years later in 2005, um, we sold the pub on Ben Lehman and um, just whiskey was really, or the distillery was really our um, full-time occupation. Isn't it interesting, because you mentioned like that Scottish influence, but also the Irish. When I was in Stanley, I just straight up, you probably know the great crew up there that have ship in. I mean, what an amazing property that yeah, is. Yeah. Um, and I felt like I was in either Ireland or Scotland, and um, one of the owners there, Alistair, who was on my podcast last week, he said, you know, he's um, he was influenced by his family being um, around uh, Talisker and Isle of Skye and all that area. Um, but yeah, that's something about Tasmania, having been to Ireland a few times in Scotland and what have you, the whole time I thought I was travelling around, you know, <laughs> Ireland or Scotland. Did, do you feel like that as well? Oh, all the time. And there are so many place names that reflect that, the, you know, Scottish names and Irish names. And yeah, we, we had, well, I guess um, Tasmania was settled or um, force settled by a lot of convicts from those areas, from Ireland and from Scotland. And um, yeah, we've got a wonderful heritage here that reflects that very thing. So what, where does the mainland come in? Like, because there's so many stories about, you know, Van Diemen's land and the history of Tasmania. I mean, you, you, you are very patriotically Tasmanian. I can feel it. So where does it come in that I feel like maybe all the cool kids and the creatives and all the freaky people got sent to Tasmania? Is that what happened? All the criminal. I would call them creative, accountant. <laughs> yeah, Tasmania does attract that wonderful type of person that um, is a bit adventurous and, you know, there's no doubt about it, you leave behind certain um, comforts and um, things that you're comfortable with uh, in Sydney and Melbourne and places like that, but then you very quickly fall into this sort of island um thinking and island mentality and I you know and I often tell people when I'm talking at conferences and things to to not be afraid to let people know what you're thinking you might want to do especially in Tasmania um because you know some people are afraid to do that they think somebody might steal their idea but here in Tasmania no. people just jump out of their chairs wanting to help you um and you'd be mad not to let people know what you're going to do. And I think that's the thing about an island community. You, you really do have to look after each other and support each other and, um, you know, uh, um, create this, this very something special about the, that culture in Tasmania. It's really innovative. And, you know, so many people, I mean, I could live there, no worries, because that's me. Like, and I don't, I think every idea is someone else's whiskey is one of those, you know. So you kind of got to be collaborative and share and care and all those things. So I definitely... I looked at a house when I was in Launceston. I got a bit carried away. Um, but I'm in Brisbane right now. They breed them tough in Queensland. Yeah, right. you got to go and live down in Tasmania where it, you know, I mean, up here there's been rain and it's been terrible, but the sun's out today. So that makes people straight away feel good. Whereas in Tassie, in places where I grew up on the Mornington Peninsula, we didn't have a choice. We just had to get on with it, get home from school, light a fire to keep warm, literally. <laughs> so I think I think um, Tassie's got that, you know, approach of it doesn't matter what the weather's doing, let's just keep going, let's be creative, collaborative. Yep. Um, yep. One, of the, one of the, when I was at the uh, markets in Launceston, 
harvest that got their fantastic markets. There was so many distillers there and farmers that were literally talking to the producer. One of the yeah, guys, yeah. one of the guys which you'll love, um, uh, what are they called? Endangered Distillery, Distillery Co. And, they, <laughs> and they've got the Don't Feed the Chooks where they get the bread from the leftover bread from the restaurants in Hobart and they make vodka. That's an right. example of what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, that's the wonderful, crazy thing people do. It. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, and it's like I was like, oh, I thought potatoes, and he goes, no, no, we just grab the bread. It's the same, you know, same vibe. So I think that's a really good example of the modern um, Tasmania because these were really young, young guys. So one of my questions is, uh, you're in uh, Battery Point. I don't say yep. it right. How do you say it? <laughs> Battery. Battery point. And can I just say, I missed you by that much because I wanted to come and actually record with you in one of your favourite local pubs drinking one of your spirits. But we're actually over uh, digital today and that won't stop me drinking one of your spirits though. Because oh, <laughs> it's because when I rang you on a Friday afternoon, I was like, oh, sorry. I was like, I'm ringing Bill Lark at 4.30 on a Friday. Is that crazy? And when I rang you, you were actually, oh, I'm just with a mate down the road in one of my favourite watering holes. So I love that. You're true to your word. So the thing that I wanted to ask you about Tassie now is a lot of mainlanders through the you know the pandemic, they all sort of flocked after they could get in to Tasmania, not only to, to, to um, have a holiday, they actually invested in and didn't leave. How do you, mm -hmm. think, how, how do you think that's going? <laughs> it's crazy time down here. Yeah. Um, you know, and... We like the rest of Australia too, I suppose. Um, all of my favourite watering holes and restaurants, as you say, that we were talking about this last night. We, nobody can get enough staff to help them with um, running these places. You you walk down Hobart at ten o'clock at night in the middle of winter, and it's like the middle of summer anywhere else. It's sort of Tasmanians don't worry about that sort of thing. You know, um, one of the great things that demonstrates that in the Hobart is um, Dark Mofo in the middle of winter. It's a food festival and you walk around the streets at 10 o'clock at night and it's three degrees and there are kids playing and fire pots and music and street you know, street art and it's just an amazing thing and, and it's freezing cold but everybody's enjoying it as if it was the middle of summer. I love that mate. I went over to, um, to Mona as you do uh, I've been yep. there a couple of times, but I didn't actually go too much in the gallery this time. I stuck outside just to really get the ambience of the vineyard and the, there's always a music, music playing. Yeah. And um, Willie Smith, I've got a son called Will Smith, go figure. Um, yeah, and, uh, and Willie Smith Cider had their cart there, again, very sort of like Scottish vibe going on. And it was the mulled cider. <laughs> yeah. And that was, on a that was on a Monday at 11. Yeah, yeah. I usually wait till after seven, but 11's up. I was going to ask you that. How do you drink responsibly, uh, Bill Lark? Who said I drink responsibly? No, that's that's the answer I was after, but you're still alive. <laughs> now, look, um, my passion is for single malt whiskey, and uh, it's one of those drinks, really, you don't just simply guzzle. Yeah. It's a you share amongst friends and you'll often just sit there, oh, you know, just I just sometimes nose a whiskey for 15 minutes before I take a sip. Wow. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it's a, a drink I'm really passionate about and love, but interestingly, you might only, you know, share that time with a good friend, you know, um, for a few hours with just one or two whiskeys. 
you yeah. don't um, you don't really seem to need to uh, consume a lot. Now, mind you, there are times when I go to the pub with my mates when we probably had one or two many beers. <laughs> that <laughs> the, old, the old Aussie <laughs> culture. You were re- reminding me then of um, Mexico because in Mexico the, te- the tequila is like. That's like an aperitif, you know. They have it at their yeah. weddings, their grandmas are drinking it. It's just something they sip on. Yeah. And I always had a theory with tequila that um, the agave, it, it's good for you, you know. And when I got COVID overseas, um, two things that I had with me was tequila and grappa. <laughs> and, like I, and, I, and that was before COVID had been mentioned and it was before vaccines. So I was just downing this grappa from this little Italian man. And I don't know, mate, I'm, I'm, I think there's something in that. Oh, look, uh, um, I, I'm probably the last person in Tasmania uh, around that has never had COVID. And, um, <laughs> and I swear it's um, just drinking good whiskey helps. <laughs> I can't guarantee that, by the way. No, me either. Like, me either. But this isn't the ABC. This is my podcast, so we're safe. Now, here, now, let me ask you this as well. With whiskey, are you just single malt, malt whiskey or do you deviate in making other things? Well, Lark now does deviate a little bit. Um, for Lynn and I, uh, we our passion was single malt whiskey, and so we dedicated our lives to that. But Lark has grown from our kitchen table to a point where we employ about 80 people at Lark now. And um, during COVID, one of the interesting things that happened was that everybody knows there was a shortage of hand sanitizer. So the Lark distillery raced out and found a wonderful stillmaker in Tasmania that could make a... Uh, Column continuous still for us, so that we were able to produce um, our own neutral, strong neutral alcohol as the base for hand sanitizer. So Lark went into the production of hand sanitizer during the early parts of COVID. But the great thing about that is it's left us with a wonderful continuous still that enables us to make our own neutral spirit for making our gin. Um, but we've also discovered that if you use simply malted barley as your grain you can actually make a wonderful um spirit grain spirit from it and uh, that'll be down the track sometime that'll come out but along the way um lark's been fortunate i suppose or circumstances have um come up that where lark has been able to acquire a couple of other distilleries and access to barrels of whiskey from those distilleries so um, it was one of the first um, distilleries in Australia to put together a blended single malt. So the single malt from a number of distilleries was blended together to form a product called Symphony. And um, that's something that I don't, I'd never dreamed that we'd ever get to the stage where we could do that. But the industry's grown so much and the opportunity exists now for that type of thing to happen. And how, how involved are you still with Lark? Um, look... Sure, no, I was going to say seven years. Nine years ago, I tried to sort of step back from it. It was growing so much and I had a little health scare and I wanted to take it a bit easier. Lynn and I had been working seven days a week for years and um, so uh, we had a lot of friends say to us, Bill, we'd like to be part of your distillery and is, is there any opportunity? And I used to say, don't be mad, are you silly? Why would you do that? I don't even know what I'm doing yet. You know? <laughs> That's <laughs> why anyway. they wanted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we, we sort of played around with it and before we knew it, we had 19 um, friends come in as shareholders and the company was on a path growing forward now. Um, but before that happened, I wrote my business card as brand ambassador, global brand ambassador. Yeah, good. <laughs> That's nice my one. role today. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm simply, um, I'm the person that goes to promote our product around the country and 
eventually we'll be back overseas as we start exporting again. And, Fantastic. Um, so I just eat and drink and get fatter and lazier and um, I'm loving it. But you're not, I mean, you don't have to tell me how old you are. Um, <laughs> you can tell me what year you're born. I'm doing my math because you said 48 and 18 and like, so what are you, you're getting up, where are you, mate? Mid-60s or where? 68 would pull me up. <laughs> yeah, I thought I had that right. Um, so that's good. Now, and when you say um, when you go overseas, do you guys, were you exporting a lot or still are? Yeah, well, look, yeah, back, um, you know, 15 years ago, we were exporting to the United States, um, Singapore, Japan, Hong Kong, uh, France, Netherlands, Spain, UK, and a little bit in Sweden. But back then, all of a sudden, the Australian market woke up to Australian whiskey and Australian spirits. And um, we had to really cut back entirely from all of those export markets, sadly, because we simply couldn't keep up with the demand from within Australia for Australian spirits. And by then, there were a number of other wonderful Australian distilleries around the place and a lot in Tasmania. Um, and, yeah, so it, it and the reality is we were relying on product we'd made you know, six or seven years beforehand, and that simply wasn't enough for them for the demand. So we've had to. That's one of the reasons also that we took on um, uh, partners or shareholders in the company, so that we had the capital to increase production. So we've been slowly increasing production ever since, and we're only now at the point where the Lark Distillery um, is in a position to say we can seriously get back into the export market. So that'll be the project for the next 12 months is entering the export market. And is it run by a board as well? Yeah, like we're very, very fortunate. We've got a board of some wonderful people. One of them is, um, one of our directors is the owner of Sepplesfield Winery in South Australia, wow. who fortunately for us um, has um, uh, bond stores or stores full of uh, para port barrels that go back to 1878. Um, and uh, we have access to those retired port and sherry casks, um, which is ideal for maturing whiskey. And he's on our board now, so that's terrific. Would well, I have seen them at the Old Kempton Distillery? Seen, sorry? Those, those the, barrels at Old Kempton? Oh, you possibly would have, yeah, because uh, there is a cooper at Sepplesfield that um, is independent of the Sepplesfield winery, but he has access to those barrels too. And uh, we buy barrels from... Andrew Young from the Cooperage at Sepplesfield, yeah. So, so, so I took off from Hobart, wonderful, and I'm, I'll just give a bit of a shout-out. Moven Peak Hotel, that's a great hotel that's been built in Hobart. We went they in. Do, they, do. <laughs> they do really good food. In uh, Have you been to the yeah. Italian? Yeah. So yeah. Tesoro, really nice, meaning treasure. But I couldn't believe street level and then you went in. This is typically Hobart, actually. My husband said everybody's got a river view. <laughs> We went in, but this was like next level. Like when you went up and you just, it just opened up to the harbour, yep. which was stunning. Um, and then we took off and we thought, okay, we're going country. So we went into Rathmore to um, Rathmore, their sheep shearing homestead and the, the accommodation there. Really cool place. I really enjoyed meeting those guys. And then we took off to not far over the hill to Kempton to find... Yep. I was looking for Bill Lark, but I found some of your cool crew <laughs> along the way, um, and the and Aaron and the and the team there, such great hospitality, and they just showed us around the distillery. We saw the old barrels, and then I just happened to say, "Can I podcast? You know, do a podcast with Bill Lark?" Thinking that they would laugh at me, and they went, "Yeah, no worries, we'll get on teams." So it <laughs> strikes me as, um, firstly, you're really personable, and secondly, you're very hands-on still. So what's your involvement with Old Kempton? Um, distillery. 
Well, um, not satisfied with um, being a founder of Lark and working <laughs> with Lark, I w- was convinced to help be a founder of the Old Kempton Distillery with a couple of other people. And um, uh, I was interested in that because at the time, we were on a property where we were growing barley and that really excited me, an opportunity to grow our own barley and do our own floor malting, which we did for a little while, but sadly we had to move properties and we've had to suspend that for a while, but um, and now we've come to beautiful Kempton. But yeah, I was a founder of um, what was Redlands Distillery and now Old Kempton Distillery and I'm still a, um, a director, a minor shareholder in it. And um, my wife Lynn went there for a little while and was managing the distillery and we, she sort of undertook the project to help get that new distillery built that you saw. Oh, beautiful. Um, so she's been able, now that that's up and running, she's been able to step back and we've got a great uh, team up there at Kempton. So, yeah, we we sort of play around the edges now. <laughs> so have I missed any of the edges? Lark, Kempton, <laughs> what have I missed? Um, well, well, people may have heard of Starwood Distillery in Melbourne. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, yeah, for sure. Oh, I was a founder of Starwood with David Vitale. In fact, David Vitale used to be our business manager at Lark for Lynn and myself. And he wanted to take Lark to a place that Lynn and I weren't comfortable with at the time. And he was driving us mad. So I sacked him just before we went to America <laughs> together and told him to settle down. Because when we come back from America, we'll go to Victoria and we will help him start a distillery, which eventually became Starwood. Wow. You so we're still in in a very small way. <laughs> Amazing. And something that you do a lot of, because I know this firsthand from our friends at Husk Distillery, uh, Paul Messenger there. I've done a podcast with Paul before, and he always, anytime Paul does any media, he refers to Bill Lark. So, um, which is interesting, because he's doing, which I'm super proud of those guys. I live in and around that area most of the time, and I get to do a lot of their storytelling. So they've got the first agricole rum in Australia. Uh, yeah. With Quinton, you'd know those guys. And then, you know, their gin, you know, which has been the bread and butter from the ink through to the slow. But as you know, their passion has always been the rum. So tell me about um, how you met Paul and, and what you think you would have, you know, the spark that you would have ignited in him. Um, I'm just trying to think how we met. But um, ultimately, people that have this crazy idea in their head that they want to start a distillery. Contact you. <laughs> <laughs> they they tend to find their way to Tasmania and um, um, back in the early days of getting a distillery licence, the customs people uh, liked to think that you knew what you were doing. Um, they sort of helped us bypass that step of the way just to see us get started, but they encouraged people and we were happy for them to do so, to come and see us and we would help them. Yeah. So we used to just take people through the whole process of what we went through getting our licence and what's required. And for a lot of people, they're not sure of how big should my still be or how, you know. So we just work through and say, well, look, if you have one this big, this is what you can do and all those things. And Paul, I, I'm, I think he was just one of those wonderful people that had an idea and a passion and um, we hooked up that way. And uh, and once people do that, we just keep in touch. And like, have, you, have you been up there? My license, have, you been up, have you been up to Husk? Yeah, I've got to say I haven't. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'm putting it out there, dude. You're coming up because you know me now too. And um, it is so impressive, Bill. That is, yeah. they've just got, you know, with Mandy as well, similar to you guys with your partnership, they've just got a really, um, really finesse style to them. It's plantation. They haven't taken away from that Martinique, um, you know, heritage. And, yeah, I think it's really unique for Australia, actually. You must come up. 
Yeah, no, no. I, I keep saying I've got to get back on the motorbike and head up your way and visit all these friends of ours that have started distilleries. Um, yeah. I need to, one of the things I need to do. Now that we can move around a bit more freely, I'm sure we'll do it. And I'll meet you in Spain because you mentioned Spain. And then whenever anyone mentions Spain, I go, Spain? <laughs> my, my wife's actually in Portugal as we speak. Is she? Oh, wow. She's about to walk from Porto in Portugal to um, San Diego in Spain. She's doing the Camino. Um, that's actually, yeah, that's if I was to do the Camino, that's the one I want to do. I want to start in Porto on the port yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then slowly sort of transgress into, uh, you know, Tempranillo. <laughs> but she'll be heading off um, in about two days on that walk with her sister. How long does that take? Will, will that... Uh, I think she'll be about 15 days on the track. Excellent. And now you call um, you call Hobart home. That is definitely, no. yeah. And do you get a chance to still uh, hang out in Launceston, Lorny? I was in Launceston last week, as a matter of fact. So you still have <laughs> that You still have that love of Launceston? Yeah, we do. We spend, a, well, our first year of life in Tasmania in Launceston. But our son, um, apart from being a distiller in his own right, uh, he he runs the Battery Point Distillery here in Hobart for a, a friend of ours. Um, he's heavily in, in, in involved and has a passion for musical theatre and he was actually directing um, a wonderful show in Launceston last week, a one-night show. Wow. And we went up to watch his show and, um, and, and we went to that wonderful restaurant, Pierre's in Launceston. And <laughs> yeah, we were only there a week ago. I love that. And now your daughter is also involved. She has her own distillery. Starting to sound like we're a bunch of <laughs> distillers. A bunch of distillers. Um, <laughs> tell me what tell me about that, your daughter's distillery. Well, our first distillery, as we mentioned earlier, was in our house at Kingston in Kalara Way. And Christy grew up in and uh, with a still outside her bedroom door. So in, in order <laughs> to get out of her bed and the still cover up of her doorway she had to crawl around or squeeze around the still <laughs> and she grew up with that and and she grew up with lynn and i rabbiting on about this you know over dinner and um it just consumed a lot but she was determined to do something different for a while herself so she was um looking to become an air traffic controller of all crazy things um but the process for becoming an air traffic controller is long and involved and um, while she was waiting for that to happen, she came to work in the distillery in our cellar door and she fell in love with the industry and eventually became our head distiller and then our general manager before we sold down to our friends. Um, and then sadly for us, when we were selling down, we said to her, would you like to take over the distillery? Uh, her husband was a is a geologist and um, they decided that they needed to start chasing his career a bit and they moved out of Tasmania to New South Wales, to central New South Wales, to different gold mines and things. Um, and she just couldn't get it out of a system though. So while they were living in uh, West Wyalong in New South Wales, she'd travel back to Tasmania three or four times a year and just slowly established her own distillery. And eventually, um, the mine changed and they both came back to Tasmania and they bought a little farm out at Richmond and Christy has established a distillery she calls Kalara after uh, Kalara Way where she grew up with a still around. And can, <laughs> um, I, say, and and I, can I say that it's uh, quite well known, just quietly? Well, look, she's doing a wonderful, wonderful job and um, she's very clever like a mum. Um, 
Lynn's a, a sensational botanical distiller in her own right, and Christy is following in her mum's footsteps. And she's about Christy's about to head off to um, London herself to the Physic Gardens at Chelsea to do a course on um, botanical gardens. Uh, when I say botanical, I mean herbs and medicinal bot botanicals, and uh, with a view to coming back and establishing a botanical garden on her farm that produces all the botanicals she needs for gin and for other medicinal uh, products that she plans to do. Oh, how fabulous. But at the moment, you know, her whiskey is one of the most talked about whiskies in Tasmania. That's she does right. a fantastic job. Well, you, are super, you should be super proud. And you're also very humble. Now, speaking of humility, last night, um, firstly, thanks for being here because you had a banging night last night. 30 years of celebrating the licence for whiskey in Australia. Is that right? That's right. It was, um, a it was a 30 year celebration, not only of Lynn and I um, being granted that first license, um, which really has been, I guess, the catalyst for starting the modern Australian craft spirits industry, but it was um, a celebration of 30 years of the industry in Tasmania. Um, I think we have something like, I, I lose track of it, but something like 80 odd distilleries in Tasmania. No, I got told 92, so I rounded it off to 100. Because I'm sure there'd, yeah, be, well, look, like, that, there'd be another eight that we that don't was, know about. <laughs> well, that was Today there probably is a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's incredible. You must feel so, you must feel proud, Bill, that you've inspired, um, you know, a, a generation upon generation of distillers out there. Look, I am. I'm, I'm extremely proud. And the thing I'm proud most about, oh, sorry, is that um, we're all still really good mates and we're all willing to share and help each other. And that's something I tried to foster because of the help I had from Scotland when I got my licence. They, they opened up immediately and were instrumental in encouraging me and teaching me how to make whisky. And um, I just felt an overwhelming um, obligation to do the same thing for our industry. And to sit there last night, we had 240 guests out at the Pontville Estate for the most spectacular evening from all over the country. And just you could feel the love in the room, the warmth, the, the sincerity, the, the genuine nature of it. And I'm thinking, bloody hell, this started on our kitchen table 30 years ago. Was, Lynn with, was Lynn with you or she was overseas? No, the broker heart that, that she's wanted to walk this track with a sister for a, a long time, as long as I can remember. And her only opportunity for doing it was to be away there um, at the moment. But I got a big surprise. The phone rang <laughs> during the dinner <laughs> and it was a message from Lynn. It was a taped message, but it was a message from Lynn. <laughs> Love and that. That's gorgeous. She's very much with, she's very much with you. You guys have been um, a really good team. I can I can hear that. So I'm going to finish. Thank you for being here today, Bill, because I'm sure you had a you know a uh, late night, early morning, and I really appreciate that. And I'm sure you'll be here. I I, I want to be in Hobart this afternoon. How do I make that happen? Last time I said that, which was last Friday, I wanted to be in Melbourne, and I actually booked a flight and went. So be careful, Bill Lark. Okay. Well, that's what I tell people. Be careful what you say. It might happen. No, definitely. Now, do you go to Preachers? How good is Preachers in those little bars? Fortunately, that's a very close walking distance from here. I do, yeah. I had a feeling that's where you would hang out. Um, now, now uh, amongst other places. I always end my podcast. We've, we've spoken a bit about travel, which is great because it's, it's people to place. So I always end it with who inspires you and a place that inspires you. You don't have to 
single it down. It can be Mother Earth and the planet. I don't mind. But is there someone that comes to mind that really inspires you and a place that really inspires you? Um, well, look, I think everybody would know and, 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 and expect me to say this, and I believe it in with, you know, my heart, that um, Scotland, <clears throat> even though my ancestry sadly is not Scottish, my yeah. wife's is, mine was, I'm just a Sassanac from down south. Um, <laughs> when I go to Scotland, I feel like I'm at home. And I am inspired by this, a number of people I could mention, but many people in the Scottish industry that have welcomed Lynn and I with open arms and they they look after us, they take us in and they share with us. And um, when I started to make whiskey, my aim was to see if I could make a really good Tasmanian single malt whiskey. But I wanted to make it in the style of what the Scottish people do. Mm. And I guess my mentor from those early days was John Grant from Glen Farkless Distillery. Wow. And um, he's another one that uh, left a phone uh, message last night and actually put together a, an anniversary bottle of whiskey that they produced over at Glen Farkless with his photo and my photo on the label to celebrate that phone call oh, I had from wow, 30 Bill. years ago. Wow, your so, heart is so full right now, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah. So Scott and Lynn and I will be going back to Scotland in September this year. We, I just can't wait to get back there. I just feel so much at home there. I love it. Isn't that interesting? I feel like that in Spain, but I've got to say, I feel like that in Tassie now. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. My husband's like, oh, really? And I'm like, yep. Um, so because I'm really loving Brisbane too. I will I will say this. And when you come up, please get in contact. Uh, it's a city that's very much growing and, and um, you know, has that solid history, but it's also turning and metamorphosizing due to the infrastructure, Olympics, blah, blah, blah. But there's a couple of really good whiskey bars um, that I really want to, I want to, I want to show you around. I don't know when the last time you came to Brisbane is, but there's one called The End, which is in West End, and it's been going for over 10 years, and it's a rocking bar. Do you know that one? I don't know that one necessarily. I know Cobblers and Death and Taxes. Oh, and... all those, yes. Well, I'm kind of walking distance to there, so please get in contact with me when you come up. I'd love to show you around. And next time I'm in Hobart, I'm hanging out with Bill Lark. Good on you, Kylie. I look forward to it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Bill. I've really enjoyed um, chatting with you today. Take care, my friend. Thanks, Kylie.